Chapter 19 of The Night Side of New York by members of the New York Press. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Newspapers. A daily newspaper is only half awake while the sun shines. But when the gas is lit and the last of the downtown merchants and clerks is in his uptown or Brooklyn home, then the newspaper establishments begin to wake up. The red-eyed and sallow-looking printers, whom we saw lounging about the corner of Spruce and Nassau during the day, have all disappeared, and have become alert workmen in the composing room. The night editor has taken his seat, and the boy has brought in the evening mail. The mail editor turns over the exchanges with a rapid and practiced hand, eye, and scissors. The latter seem to rush by instinct at an available paragraph. Occasionally he jumps up with a paragraph and puts it in the night editor's desk. Neither say a word. The latter takes it, sees that it needs more mention than an ordinary bit of news, and makes an item of it in his summary, or makes a special editorial paragraph of the news contained. The messenger comes in from the Associated Press Telegraph with yellow, ill-smelling sheets of tissue-like paper that contain congressional news. It is rapidly examined. No compression can be done there. It is already boiled down for newspaper use. The fire reporter rushes in with not only a report of the great fire, but with a list of the losses and the amount of the insurance. Very nearly correct. That is a good item. The night editor don't cut that down. In comes another who has been detailed to give a report of a lecture. The night editor reads. It is dull vary and would make a column of print his pencil goes mercilessly through it until it becomes a mere paragraph as much as it deserves up comes the editor-in-chief who asks to see the telegraphic news that has just gone up a little while before perhaps the compositors have had it long enough to give him proofs these he looks over something done by the radicals or the conservatives or the democrats according to his own politics, fires him with an idea, and he proceeds to put it on paper with lightning-like velocity, and probably in a penmanship to which a cuneiform inscription would be plain. At the head of it he writes, Bravere, leaded, must go in. Whatever else stays out, excepting the important news, this editorial must be inserted. Then come in various reporters with paragraphs and reports of political meetings, police items, accidents, etc., etc., until after twelve o'clock. The dramatic critic has sent a boy from the green room of a theatre with his judgment of or remarks upon a new play, for a dramatic editor's talk is not always criticism, and he has done his share toward the author's success or failure. Generally, the critics are kind enough to dramatic authors, unless they happen to be one of themselves. Dramatic critics have less esprit de corps than any other class of writers or workers, and the great successes of Mr. Charles Gaylor in his dramas, or that of Mr. Augustin J. Daly in his version of Leah, have received comparatively very little assistance from the press. By and by, an eager unprofessional and fatigued-looking man rushes in, asks for the editor, tells him some story of a great disaster on steamboat or railroad which he has seen, and of which he nearly became a victim. The editor wastes no time, but asks him to write out the account or tell it. 
this is done. The foreman above is informed that he must reserve a column or more for frightful accident on the blank. The copy is sent up as fast as each sheet is completed, and when the work is done, the editor says simply, It is understood, Mr. Blank, that this information is not to be furnished to any other office. Certainly, sir, or I have already given the Tribune the particulars. If the first answer is given, the stranger is requested to call next day about eleven, when he will receive from twenty-five to a hundred dollars, according to the sensation character of the news. In one case, the loss of the Arctic steamship, which must be fresh in the minds of all our elder readers, the Herald gave the first survivor of the disaster who reached the city of New York, and who could give a connected account of the wreck, a thousand dollars. The recipient of the sum was Mr. George Burns, then in the employ of the European Express Company. He was kept under lock and key while writing out his account, and no compositor who had worked on the manuscript was allowed to leave the building until the paper was on press. The liberal price paid for the news was a trifle compared with the profit made by the Herald and the prestige it gained thereby. This is the secret of the success of the Herald. It has never hesitated at any price where important news was to be had by paying for it, and if anybody has any that has value, he will always find the Herald a ready and liberal purchaser. Of course, all the other papers do so in a measure, but they are apt to hesitate when the sum reaches any large amount. Sometimes they all brace themselves up for a struggle as to who shall be first. To this, occasionally, it is necessary to get hold of and keep hold of the means of telegraphic communication, for the rule in telegraphic offices is first come, first served. But you may have secured the telegraph and have nothing to send. You cannot keep possession of the line by merely paying for it. This would be contrary to the provisions in the charters of the telegraphic companies, and against public interest. You must have something to send, and as long as you are sending dispatches, no matter of what character, for the company has no right to criticize your message. You keep possession of the line. So it was once when the Prince of Wales was on this side of the ocean. All the great dailies had representatives at Niagara. The Herald had two, where he was momentarily expected. The Herald's correspondent, while all were waiting for the Prince, had nothing to do, and as the time when he was to appear had gone by, he began to fear that when he did get the news from his colleague, who was traveling with the prince, and writing out his notes for instant dispatch as soon as he reached the lines, he might lose the line. At the moment there was nothing going on in the telegraph office, so he stepped in and dictated a dispatch. Jason G. Bennett, Esquire, Herald Office, New York. Prince has not come. Is expected every minute. The wire is unoccupied. What shall I do? It wasn't long before the answer came. Telegraph the Book of Genesis, J.G. Bennett, New York Herald Office. The correspondent was a little puzzled. He had no Bible, and while he was out getting one, a Tribune or Times man might come in and get the line. But he rummaged around in his pockets and found a page of print, which he handed into the operator with the proper heading, and then he sallied out for a Bible. He was soon back and so kept the telegraph going until the prince appeared, as also did his colleague with his report, which was then rapidly transmitted over the wires. 
when the reporters for the other papers came in they found much to their disgust that the herald was not only in the occupancy of the line but likely to remain so too long for their reports to be of any avail for the next day and so the herald beat the other papers on that and so it probably will on the next great affair unless they become as liberal and as wide awake as mr bennett or his alter ego mr hudson are occasionally other telegraphic dispatches come in which are not now so warily scanned as they were during the war these dispatches are enclosed in the associated press envelope observing this and the paper a peculiar yellow semi-transparent kind the night editor if unsuspicious of fraud at the time might very easily send up a dispatch written or manifolded on the proper paper and in the proper enclosure without reading it this was actually done with the bogus president's proclamation during the war which was published by the more unwary of the city press but which couldn't pass muster with the night editors who read all their dispatches it was concocted by howard long known as a member of the press in this city in his capacity as reporter he was considered by many as the leading man on it but not by any means the most scrupulous or conscientious he would tell a sensation story if he wasn't particular about any of its other qualities the bogus proclamation was supposed to be intended to influence the gold market for a rush as there were many men and of american birth too who were not ashamed to make a profit out of the very agony of the country and who were even willing to prolong the suffering and intensify it for the sake of a few dirty dollars not a few who hold their heads high now and profess a warm patriotism were buyers of gold during the years of the rebellion toward one o'clock the last form is locked up the outside as it is called that on which the first fourth fifth and eighth pages of the paper come the first side with the bulk of the advertisements went to press at nine o'clock and is probably off by this time or may be going on upon another press the last side then is going to press one man is left in the editorial room to take charge of any news that might come in and one or two compositors sleep in the composing room with the same view toward three news vendors from uptown men women and boys employees of news agencies railroad news dealers and the carriers begin to drop in for their supplies fast as they get them they hurry off and by six o'clock or a few minutes later there begins the short hour when there is a real lull in the life of the newspaper for at seven office boys appear engineers and firemen turn up folders and clerks come in and soon all is life and activity again but there is another picture the daily newspaper and the weekly story paper the comic monthlies and the merrymen gratify an honest and decent taste and even where they only amuse they do not degrade there are however papers justly interdicted by the law that thrive only on filth and by encouraging and creating a taste for it as the police are constantly on the watch for these they are seldom printed in the daytime the forms are prepared at some obscure quarter of the city where a printing office would not be suspected and where no sign is put out to show that there is one 
and are brought after nightfall to some third-class press-room whose master unsuccessful in a reputable line hopes to make both ends meet by doing dirty work at a high price with doors carefully locked and a good lookout kept the work is done the sheets are bundled up and carried off carefully covered from all prying eyes and the forms are hurried back to the office of their proprietor as if they were bodies of the victims of a murderous crime this is the work of the obscene newspaper but all is not prosperity for those concerned in this business every year or two come arrests and confiscations of contraband books and papers few of the dealers in this business become permanently prosperous occasionally one emerges into respectable publishing and drops his dirty traffic but these cases are few and far between most of the persons once engaged in this business just hover on the edges of society lead an unwholesome hunted kind of life wear a furtive look as if they constantly expected the visit of an officer and seldom prosper sufficiently to compensate them for pursuing their filthy calling End of chapter 19